Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Your job is to keep telling the truth about Christ. Keep telling the truth about Christ. And I want to say it that way because if you just say to people at work, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, cool, cool. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm a Buddhist. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Muslim. I'm a Hindu. Okay, cool. High five. That's not what you're asked to do. There's increasing pressure on Christians to hide our faith. Those who speak up for Christ face hostility, and many entities, including schools, workplaces, and even the government, are signaling to Christians to stay quiet. Is it working? Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares says we must stop hiding our Christianity and start telling the truth about Christ. I'm your host, Dave Drury. We're starting in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 3. And now here's Pastor Mike with the final part of a message called Motivated by the Martyrs. There's an interesting description of the way Saul of Tarsus is now ravaging the church. Let's read that verse again. Verse 3, Acts chapter 8. But Saul was ravaging. That can't read a commentary without them pointing out that this Greek word is used to describe, and outside of the Bible, the killing of animals by other animal, predator animals. So like an animal that gets blood all over his face and fangs are dripping blood after he tears a gazelle apart or whatever, that picture is the picture of Saul just kind of, of just ranting and raving and going and just wanting desperately to destroy the church. He, he's messing it up. It's chaotic. It's inducing fear, surely, at some level in the hearts of Christians. And then look at this. This is a proactive kind of persecution. Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That's trying to smoke you out and route you out from your little clefts of your rock and you know, hiding in the corners. And all I'm telling you is that there is an increasing move in our culture to not just say, hey, you start bringing your religion out of the pew and into the marketplace, we're going to narc you. You start trying to take your ethics from the Bible and live it out there, that's a big deal. But it, we're getting to the place now where there's a demand for you as they find you in your home or in your business or in your neighborhood or in your industry saying, now, you got to parrot what we say. We gotta you got to parrot what we say. We're, they're going after us. There is that sense in which they're saying, we're not going to let you hide anymore. We don't even like that you're in our culture anymore. You need to, number three on the alley, you need to give up on hiding your Christianity because... You can hide your Christianity and think, well, I'm never going to have to be stuck with the decision between confessing or renouncing Christ. You're right. When the temperature is not up, you can come to church, you can sing the songs, you can say amen at the end of a sermon, you can even clap when it's over, go, yeah, dig that, I'm all for that, and go to your work, shut your mouth all week long, in your neighborhood, in your relationship with the world, don't even, just don't talk about it, and you'll be fine. I doubt you'll be called on the carpet as to what you believe, and you're not going to be in trouble. You can be quiet. But when the heat ramps up, you don't have that luxury. Then they start asking you. They start saying, you need to do this. Even the, the Nini's Cafe story in west side of Chicago, I mean, there's a good example. You've got to parrot what we say. And if you don't, we're going to shut your business down and we're going to burn it, which is what happened in that case. I want you to just think about the ways in which that takes place. For instance, they're going to call us the worst dregs of society 
if we don't parrot what they say, and if we can't say it because we are faithful to Christ, and we are trying to love the world by saying Christ loved you, here's the answer to your sin, and Christ died for your sin, but sin is, I don't know, uh, highlighting distinctions between ethnicity, ethnicity, so we can't do that. And, and foregoing all the sexual rules of what God said is allowable, and is not, we can't forego that, we have to affirm that. And rebelling against the natural order of things like gender, well, we can't do that, because God was clear on that, Matthew 19, Genesis 1, I, we can't do that. And they're going to go, well, you can't sit and say those things in your pew. Now we're saying, if you don't say those out loud, and you're a Christian business owner, you're a Christian salesman, you're a Christian accountant, whatever, listen, you're going to have to parrot our lines. You're going to have to approve sin. And if you're not saying that, then you're in big trouble. There's a price to pay. You just need to see the move. I know that you think cancel cultures, you listen to your talk radio, it's all about political views. Well, you understand, this is not about my concern about politics. This is about my concern about what the Bible says and what Christ says. And so we cannot back down. And I'm saying you might as well now just start living your life more openly about your Christianity because there's going to come a time when you can't anyway. So just open it up. Speaking of, as it says in Hebrews 11, the lion's den, you know, it was Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. And again, it's another one of those fiery furnace things. Yay, God got him out of trouble. But you do remember how he got in that trouble. Well, yeah, it was the jealousy of the other leaders there in the Medo-Persian kingdom, and they wanted to go after Daniel. I, I, get, I get all that. I get it. But when, when Daniel heard that you could not pray to any other god besides the Medo-Persians and what they had decided, well, he went to do what he normally did. And you remember the one little fact in the way that he describes what he does in, in Daniel 6? It says he opened his windows and prayed, right? Prayed toward Jerusalem. He was in exile in Babylon, and he opened the window. And I'm thinking just, all you gotta do is close the windows. Close the windows. <laughs> that will at least buy you some time. Now, I know you got jealous people that wanna, get, but close the windows. <laughs> right, if you're Daniel's wife, I'm thinking you're probably gonna suggest that. It wasn't like he marched into Darius's palace and said, hey, everybody, I, wanna, I want you to watch me pray right now. I'm gonna pray to Yahweh. I'm gonna pray to the God of the Old Testament. No, he wasn't trying to be a jerk. He's trying to do what he always does. And he's not going to hide his Christianity in that case, anachronistic term, but he's not going to hide his devotion to the God of Israel. And I'm saying, you can't hide your Christianity. I don't want you to hide. I don't want you to try to hide your Christianity because they're coming to find out what you believe. I mean, they are one way or another. You might as well go on, a, on the record now. And I think you need to stop being or trying to be an undercover Christian. Give up on hiding your Christianity. We really can't hide. And we're going to be outed at some point. We might as well say, okay, scary, but we're not going to be undercover Christians. What were they doing? Verse 4. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about, look at this word, preaching the word. Now who were these people? Back up to verse 1. Saul approved of his execution. That's Stephen who died. And there arose a great persecution, it says, against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the preachers. Well, the apostles were the preachers. If you're going to get a big crowd of thousands of people out there, all following Christ, who's going to teach them about how Christ fulfilled the messianic promises and prophecies of the Old Testament? Well, we're going to have Peter or James or John do that. No, you're right. Those were the preacher preachers. We're not talking about that kind of preaching. These guys were the ones scattered 
even while their preachers stayed in place, although there were some people that could probably teach some line upon line in the Old Testament. But these people were all now commissioned and deputized to preach. I doubt that that's a word that you use. Right? If someone asks you on the golf course this week, hey, are you a preacher? No, man, I mean, I'm not a preacher. But I insist too much about whatever, what to have for, no, no, no. I'm not saying it's a disparaging, but is that what you do in life? No, that's not what I do. No, that's Mike Fabares you want to get. It's not, it's not me. He's the preacher. You realize that this passage is defining preaching as something the scattered people of God who sat there listening to preaching did. They're preaching. Preaching the word, which is a loaded term as well. The word. Right? The word is a description of God revealing the truth. And sometimes even those words interlap, overlap between the revealed truth and the one the revealed truth is all about. Christ himself is called the word in John's gospel. He's the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the idea is what God revealed about Christ, that's the word, that's the truth. What's the word on the matter? This is the word on the matter. This is the truth on the matter. God has revealed himself. And they went out preaching the word. And that's your task and my task this week, next week, next month, until you die, to preach the word. So when someone asks, are you the preacher? Your answer is, yeah, I, I am. That's my job. Why? Because the institution I'm a part of is to advance a message, so I'm going to preach the message. Now, it's usually done in dialogue and discussion, but that's your job. Let me put it this way. Number four, your job is to keep telling the truth about Christ. Keep telling the truth about Christ. And I want to say it that way, because if you just say to people at work, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, cool, cool. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm a Buddhist. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Muslim. I'm a Hindu. Okay, cool. High five. That's not what you're asked to do. Because I hope you know the theology of any other religion is going to have an opinion about Christ that's not the opinion about Christ, the facts about Christ presented in the Bible. Islam says that Jesus is a prophet. The Eastern religions talk about him maybe as being an enlightened guru. Okay. Some groups see him as a distillation of ancient Wisdom, right? This is like Confucian wisdom coming to bear in the light of Christ. Oh, okay. But that ain't what God said about him. And we've been studying that every time we go to church about Christ being the one who is, as we read recently from Colossians chapter one, he is the first in front of all things, the inheritor of all things. Matter of fact, he's the creator of all things, things visible or invisible, thrones, dominions, power. He created them all. All things are created by him and for him. He has preeminence in everything, and all of that should be clear. Matter of fact, true or false, Christ is a unique and supreme person. He's the most unique and supreme person of all persons. He is the God-man. He, in him, dwells, to quote Colossians, in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So Christ is unique and supreme. Is Christ greater than Muhammad? Is Christ greater than Confucius? Is Christ greater than the Vedas? Is Christ greater than any philosopher? I, you would say yes, I would hope. You'd say yes. 
If you're called to take the message of the supremacy of Christ to the world, while all the other religions and philosophies are telling a different story about Christ, making him lesser than he is, then I take the truth about the supremacy of Christ to my friends at work, in my neighborhood, to the other moms at the mom gathering at the soccer field or whatever, and you say, well, Christ is supreme, and therefore I'm going to tell you the truth about the uniqueness and supremacy of Christ. If I'm saying that as a part of the Christian faith, then I'm asking the question, is my Christian faith and is my religion, is it unique and supreme over all other religions? And that's where you're going to go, well, I'm not saying that. I don't want to say that. We're supreme and I don't know, Christ is supreme. I mean, we're not supreme. Just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. I mean, you know, what do we know? And Well, wait a minute. Christ is unique and supreme over all people. Matter of fact, he said he's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's not what all the other religions say. It's not what the average secularist says. That's not what people are saying. We're saying there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved, must be saved, must be saved. No other name. There's no other person. This is the only way. Now, is Christianity saying that? Well, if it's faithful Christianity, it's going to say that. And if that's saying what God says, is that corpus of teaching? Is that evangelistic message? Is that truth that's being proclaimed? Is that then superior to all these other people saying different things and contrary things about Christ? Absolutely it is. You want to have trouble? Go to work and tell your friends that. Go say Christianity is superior to all other religions. I don't, I don't want to say that. Why? Because you know what you're going to get. You're going to get pushback. You're going to get hostility. You want to see people who say they're against hate get filled with hate? All you got to do is talk about the truth of who Christ is. That Christ loves us enough to die for our sins. And here's just some of the sins that the Bible says are sin. I can't even say certain sins in our culture are sin without having people flip me off and call me a homophobe or a racist. Think about that. Yeah, distinguishing ethnicities and aspects of ethnicity, that's wrong. The Bible says just the opposite of that. I'm not concerned about dividing us by ethnicity. I'm about uniting us under Christ. Those things don't matter. There's no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. We're all together in Christ. I can't say that. Not in, 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 in the secular company of those who don't buy that because they're going to attack me. I can't talk about sexual ethics from, from Christ's perspective. I can't talk about gender issues from the order of create. I can't talk about that without inviting the hostility of my culture. So I guess I'll shut up about it. Were they refugees trying to avoid trouble? If they were, they wouldn't be preaching the word. But they were preaching the word because that wasn't the point, trying to avoid the problems. It was about them being faithful representatives of advancing the gospel. Turning to one last passage. Hebrews chapter 10. I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but I fear that maybe if most of the debates that you're involved in have to do with sharpening your theology and their debates in your mind and their books that you're debating one book against the other. Probably a little different than when you first became a Christian. And you took the word of God at face value. You felt the urgency of the salvation of your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, and you started talking to them about them needing to do what you just did 
to confess your sins before God, repent of them, and trust Christ to have your sins forgiven. And that probably caused more problems than when you settled into your comfortable Christian life. Hebrews chapter 10, drop all the way down to verse 32. The writer of Hebrews says, I want you to think back to those early days. Recall the former days when you were, just after it says you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. I bet you lost some relationships back then. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach. Now, that was serious back then, of course. Perhaps you haven't been publicly, you know, verbally flogged and affliction. Sometimes being partners with those so treated. Maybe there was a time in your Christian life when you were more attracted to reading about the persecuted church around the world, and maybe there was some interest in the martyrs of church history because all of this was really fresh and happening in your relationships. You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew. You knew, and it was palpable and real to you, that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. You took those terms in Scripture about a place where your treasure cannot rust and it can't be stolen and it's not going to be eaten by moth. You took that seriously. Well, therefore, verse 35, don't throw away your confidence. That's exactly where you need to live. You need to be right there. It's got a great reward. You have need of endurance. You need that kind of thing that started you in the Christian life. It needs to keep on going. You need to be fueled by that continually so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised now a conflation of a bunch of biblical concepts in the Old Testament. He says, for yet in a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. Certainly referring to the fact that Christ is returning. He's going to return. But my righteous one is going to live by faith, which he's going to unload on what that looks like in chapter 11. Live by faith, which is going to end with people being sawn in two. In the end of chapter 11, he's going to say, hey, you run whatever race is in front of you. Look at this. And if he shrinks back, as opposed to being these kinds of people in chapter 11, as imperfect as they might have been in various aspects of their lives, they trusted God, and they weren't afraid to say it. If you shrink back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I want you to be bold. I want you to not back down. I want you to open the windows you don't have to go in with a milk crate and a bullhorn and preach in the parking lot of your office. But how about you just saying to your coworker, hey, I'm a Christian. I don't know if I've ever been really clear about that with you, but I'm a Christian. I believe God has revealed himself and he's done it in this book called the Bible. If you ever want to talk about that, I'd be happy to talk about it. I mean, does that sound genteel and kind? Just say that to six people this week. Hey, I'm a Christian. I don't know if you know I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And I believe that God has revealed himself clearly in the Bible. If you ever want to talk about that, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'll bet you're going to have a couple takers. And in those conversations, I'll bet you're going to have a little bit of, of, of difficulty with the conditioning of the culture that has infected the minds of those you talk with, with the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience filtering through and maybe even becoming a hostile conversation. You keep your cool. You be kind. You hold out the words of life. But be unyielding about your commitment and resolve to follow Christ. Follow him not only in your behaviors. Follow him by the words that you say as you represent him 
in this world. There's a great reward for all of this. I think we're rewarded in many ways. I think we'd have a better church if all of us were willing to and engaged in a kind of representation of Christ that really did start to cost us from week to week. I think we'd argue about less things. I think we'd be less willing to divide over dumb things. I don't think the church in parts of the world where people are being dragged off to prison are really complaining about, I don't know, how cold the temperature was in the auditorium. I don't think that was probably the emails most of those pastors get in the persecuted church. Or, you know, can't we have gluten-free donuts on the, on the... I mean, I just don't think that's probably what's going on when people are being dragged off to prison and your relatives are losing their jobs and their freedoms over their Christianity. I'm not saying it'd be nice to have the kind of food you want on the table. I'm not saying it'd be nice for you to set the temperature, let everybody else tough it out. I'm just telling you, I think a church that's willing to live on the edge of advancing the gospel probably the kind of church you'd like to go to. I know it's the kind that God takes pleasure in. Let's advance the gospel this week. Pray with me. God, I'd like us not to worry, be anxious, fearful. I know that's hard. It's a temptation. The timidity of even Timothy, a well-trained disciple of the Apostle Paul, was still reluctant to bring up Paul in prison. That sometimes we need to identify more with that compassion of those that have suffered in our suffering. So I do pray, God, that this church would be responsive to my call to at least do some reading this week on the persecuted church, on the martyrs of history. We might be inspired to be emboldened and fortified in our resolve to stand up for Christ. And thank you that we get to gather again week after week, at least for now, without people taking down our license plate numbers and getting us fired at work because we're here. And we get to encourage each other and strengthen each other and help each other stay in the fight, the kind of fight that doesn't have weapons that are of the world, but there's still weapons that tear down every argument, every lofty thought that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Even that statement, God reminds us of the superiority of speaking the truth about the superior person that we follow, the one that redeemed us. So encourage us this week, please. We seek to advance the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glad you could join us as we start off the new year with a month-long series called Gospel Advance. You're listening to Focal Point with pastor and Bible teacher Mike Fabares. And you just heard the conclusion of a message titled Motivated by the Martyrs. Now you can listen to the full-length version of this message and much more from Pastor Mike when you visit our website focalpointradio.org. Now, for some of us, the idea of speaking up publicly for biblical truth, like we heard today, is frankly intimidating. Opening up ourselves to conversations about Christianity in order to advance the gospel opens us up to questions that we may not know how to answer. So if you want to increase your confidence as you engage in these conversations, then contact us today to request this month's featured resource called How to Know God Exists, Solid Reasons to Believe in God, Discover Truth, and Find Meaning in Your Life. There are universal questions on everyone's minds, questions like, Does God Exist? And you can use these questions as opportunities to share the gospel. Pastor Mike highly recommends the book How to Know God Exists as a quick reference tool for solid answers to fundamental questions about God. 
and it's written by highly respected evangelists Josh McDowell and author Thomas Williams. To make a generous donation to support this program and request a copy of How to Know God Exists, get in touch with us today at focalpointradio.org or by calling 888-320-5885. Or if you prefer, you can send your donation by mail. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And right now we're offering a free gift to our listeners who contact Focal Point for the first time. It's a fascinating booklet titled, 100 Prophecies Fulfilled by Jesus. This easy-to-read pamphlet speaks to the very heart of the hope we have in Christ and explains how Jesus perfectly fulfilled the prophecies about the Messiah. Get your free copy when you get in touch by calling 888-320-5885 or at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you back again tomorrow to hear a new message from Pastor Mike Fabares in our month-long motivational series called Gospel Advance. That's coming up Thursday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear, but we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's word is truth. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.